Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. As a Sirius XM and CNN host, I'm known for speaking, but frankly, I read for a living. I need to know what to say, and so I consume over two dozen newspapers and websites daily. I read opposing views and studies and court cases and orders and op-eds just so I can discuss current events on radio and television. But my favorite reading? Books. Old school. And my favorite interviews? are with book authors. Book Club with Michael Smirconish is now in session. My next guest has inspired today's poll question at Smirconish.com. It is as follows. Do you believe that compassion from physicians is not only proper and just, but that it also improves patient outcomes? Joining me now is Dr. Anthony Mazzarelli. He is the co-president of the Cooper University Healthcare in Camden, New Jersey, Dean of Clinical Affairs for Cooper Medical School at Rowan University, an old friend who is both a physician as well as an attorney, a bioethicist, a healthcare executive, and author of a brand new book I'll tell you about in just a moment. Maz, let's begin February 27, 2007 with a horrendous crash. Yeah, it's a, it's, it is a snowy stretch of highway just outside of Uppsala, Sweden, two commuter buses collide head on. One bus was trying to pass a, a truck on the side of the road. These buses collide. 
and it takes several fire engines, multiple helicopters, 10 ambulances to sift through the twisted metal, the wreckage, and hours to get all of the people who they can out. Miraculously, six people die, but it's amazing 56 people survive. They take them to the local hospitals, and what they find five years later is that researchers interview every single one of the survivors. And using a rigorous methodology in the research, they find two common themes. The first, which is pretty expected, is that everybody remembered the pain of the accident. That's what you would expect. The second was unexpected, which was that all the survivors had a theme about the lack of compassion that they were shown from the caretakers when they were taken care of in the hospital, which is even more surprising when you find out they were across three different hospitals. And that is pretty common to what we started to find when we put together what we were looking at when we put this book together. People remember the lack of compassion. And it has an impact. And that's what we started to dive into, which is this idea of compassion in healthcare. Meaning it has it has an impact in the in the outcome beyond how we as patients remember the experience? It has an impact in really three ways. So, and when we say compassion, by the way, what we're talking about is the relationship between those that give care and those that receive it. The doctor-patient relationship, the nurse-patient relationship, anybody who gives care and those who receive it. So if you think about it, it's bedside manner would be another way to think about it. So it's the impact of that relationship on outcomes on costs, and the actual impact on those that give the care. Because we have, what we found is a crisis in the U.S. healthcare system with respect to compassion and that relationship. And if you were to have more compassionate care, or you were to improve that relationship, you're going to improve outcomes, you're going to lower costs, and you're going to deal with what has become an epidemic, which is burnout among those that provide care. You're here about 13 days in advance of the release of the book. By the way, thanks for the advance copy. It is called Compassionomics, the Revolutionary Scientific Evidence that Caring Makes a Difference. What made you want to pursue this? So I was charged, uh, I was the brand new CMO, Chief Medical Officer at Cooper University Healthcare uh, in 2014. I was the youngest person uh, put into that position at the time. Um, And now I had 400 some physicians who were underneath me and I was charged by my boss to improve the patient experience and to improve physician engagement. And around that time, uh, my boss at the time had also engaged a consulting company that gave me a list of things that we should do in order to improve those metrics. And I was not pleased with that list. They were all very soft and mushy things to do, in my opinion. I was, they were uh, the, the art of medicine things that I was concerned no one would buy into. So I turned to our number one NIH researcher at the time. His name is Stephen Treziak. He's my co-author. And I turned to him and because he was our top NIH researcher. He's board certified in internal medicine, emergency medicine, critical care medicine, neurocritical care. He gets all kinds of grants to research resuscitation medicine and sepsis. He writes in the New England Journal of Medicine and, and the Journal of American Medical Association. And I said, Steve, um, I'd like you to be the champion for this within the organization. And he said, you're crazy. This is all the mushy stuff. Like, this isn't what I do. I'm the science guy. 
And I said, look, I need you to science this up. I'm not even convinced this is going to work. And if I can convince you, others will follow. Because we practice evidence-based medicine. That's what the physicians here do. Physicians everywhere do. And he said, okay. So he went back and I said, look, just look at the data. Tell me if there's any data on this. And he came back a little while later and he said, you know, I'm finding some, some stuff on this, Maz. And then as he looked further, he and I together started to find unbelievable amounts of data. But it was all disjointed. Because if we can talk, if da- you want. Data, data on the narrow issue of how compassion impacts outcomes. If you, yes, if you were to increase the way you have a relationship with patients, if you were to do what we traditionally think of as, as the art of medicine, if you were to improve that, and knowing that we've gotten away from that, will you actually improve not only the patient experience, but will you improve evidence-based-wise outcomes? And then we found you also improve costs and we would improve the engagement and the satisfaction of our providers. And we were astounded of what we found. And so we decided to look at not just some of the data, but all of the data. And that's what we did over the course of several years. I'm shocked that no one before you had done this. Yeah, and they haven't. And part of it is they've, all, when these articles came out, the way we describe it is each one probably made a little bit of uh, like a pebble, a little ripple. Some may have made a splash, but no one's put it together to make a wave. And part of it is because, if, do you remember the search engine Alta Vista? Yeah. So if you were to That search, was back in the day when my, my modem would go boop, 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 exactly. boop, boop, and I would have my telephone sticking in it to do it. So we, we forget how great Google is now. If you wanted to search everybody in the internet named Charlie Brown, if you put in people named Charlie Brown, it would give you people named Charles Brown, Charlotte Brown, C. Brown, Charlie. It would give you the whole list, right? The internet originally wasn't that smart. You would literally have to think about all those permutations. Well, in PubMed, which is the electronic way you would look for an article, you can look for in medicine. You could look up pneumonia. You'd get every article on pneumonia. But it's not mapped for this issue. So you'd have to look up compassion, empathy, doctor-patient relation. No one's connected the dots before. What's the universe of data that you looked at? We looked at 1,000 abstracts and 250 articles, and we continue to look every day. But that was, the, that was what was there when we actually put the book together. And, and then in the book, you tie them all together. We tie all of them together, and then we weave together real-life stories of patients. Is this, is this a subject that is capable of being measured? I mean, how, how can you, what's the control group? I'm thinking of the bus accident that you described in, uh, in Sweden, pardon me. I mean, what's the control group where you can say, okay, the outcome is better because physician X had a better bedside manner than physician Y? So, so let's talk about that. There, there are a couple different ways to measure compassion. So, and there, there are several competing measures. One is to have the physicians actually take a, a survey. And there's a couple measured, rigorous measured tools. One's called the CARE tool. One, actually, Thomas Jefferson University has one called the Jefferson Empathy Scale um, that you fill out. So there's studies where they had the physicians fill it out and they categorize them. And there's others where the patients fill it out. And then they look at the outcome. So a study at Jefferson looks at diabetes, let's say. They had the primary care physicians fill out this tool, and then they bucket them into low, moderate, and high compassion based on this tool that the physicians fill out. Then they look at the outcomes of the patients that had diabetes. What they found in those patients is that the patients of the primary care physicians that scored of high compassion had a 
80-fold higher increase of having a normal glucose level and an 80-fold higher increase of having normal cholesterol in the group that was of high compassion. Then they went to Parma, Italy, where the database was 10 times bigger of physicians, looked at 20,000 patients, and the endpoint you care about in diabetes is diabetic ketoacidosis, all these complications, same results, 40 times higher that people scored as high in compassion on this scale, had the, they had the results. Okay, naive question, yes. basic question. Do it. Can compassion be taught or is it an innate skill? I know you, I know you a long time, I know you to be a very compassionate guy, but can that which you have necessarily be imparted to somebody else? Well, first of all, you say that I have, so I, I'm going to dispute that right now. Ne- no claim, neither Steve Treziak nor I, that we are more compassionate no, than no, other No, 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 but I just know you personally to be a compassionate guy. I assume that's the way you are in your practice. I, I would like to think so, always working on it, right? And after reading a lot of these studies and seeing what people do, I don't think I'm at necessarily towards the top. I'm working on it. But, um, but yes, it can be taught. And in fact, if you go back to your science class, right, because what you're really asking is nature versus nurture. Yes. Right. And so the most common nature, the one that is, hey, you're born with this, is the stick your tongue out. You know, the can you roll the sides of your tongue? No, I can't. Yes. Right. That's the one that every science teacher says is the um, so you want to know, is compassion that way? Is it something that is inherited? Right. Turns out it's not. There's multiple studies where they were able to put people through some kind of training course, limited training course, in which they were able to actually learn how to be more compassionate. And the example we give, and it actually isn't ours, um, someone gave the example in, in, in a paper, it's like throwing a javelin. If you, TC, and I went outside now and threw a javelin, we would all throw different distances, but if we trained how to throw a javelin, we would all throw it farther after training. But some of us are just not born to be athletes. Some of us, right, but we'll still all throw it farther after we train. I mean, I would like to think that that medical school students could read Compassionomics and could acquire a skill set that maybe they didn't have that changes their bedside manner and improves the outcome of patients. I, I think that's true. And I think that also if you have the skill set in the, a medical school curriculum, you can do it too. By the way, to go back for a second, the, the tongue thing... Your high school teacher was wrong. That also can be trained. <laughs> Maz, I want to ask about the outcome. Uh, I want to ask about costs. I want to ask about the impact on healthcare providers. But sure, convince me again. Okay. You want some more outcomes? Yeah, I want. I want you to give me because because here's what I'm about to do. Okay. I, I am about to open the telephone lines and ask this audience anecdotally. What has happened in their lives? Do they believe that compassion by healthcare providers has impacted one way or the other the the uh, outcome of their medical course? But convince me based on data that you think it does. Sure. So I'll give you a couple other ones. By the way, there's 22 different mechanisms in which compassion makes a difference in outcome. So in other words, it's everything from it actually changes the physiology of the body through the connection that you have in that relationship to people being more adherent to their medications, to there's all kinds of different mechanisms. But Look, I'll give you I, I another just, one. I'm just going to say something that popped into my mind, and sure. I, I know that the callers are going to be the exact same way. Do it. I'm thinking about losing my father in October, and and I was very pleased in a, in a general sense with the health care that he was provided. But there were exceptions. You know, there, there were some who just did not seem to have 
any modicum of time. I think time is driving this bus, and you'll, you'll, I'm sure, want to want to address will. that. Um, but then I, I'm I'm sitting here saying, okay, uh, in those rare instances where I don't think he was afforded the level of care that he should have been, did that necessarily impact? His health, I you know, I don't know that that's the bridge I'm I'm trying to it, it, cross. It, and it, at times it does. At times it doesn't. Right? Nothing replaces good clinical acumen. We're not saying that you can make up for the slip of a surgeon's knife or giving the wrong medication with healthy doses of compassion. Right. right. But the absence of compassion is a patient safety problem, and the presence of compassion can improve outcomes. And that's what the data is. Convince very, me. Very clear. Give me something. Here's another one. They went to at Johns Hopkins. They go to an HIV clinic and they ask one question of the patients. Do you know, does your doctor know you as a person? It's the only question they ask. And when the answer was yes, they look at all of those patients. And what they found is that the patients in which they said yes had a 33% higher odds of taking their antiretroviral medications and a 20% higher odds of zero detectable HIV in their blood. That's what they found. That's what, this isn't our opinion. Right. Right. This is what the we data found. shows. This is what the data found. This, this is this is what I purport to offer here. Critical that, thinking, data driven conversation. Yeah, we were perfectly fine if the hypothesis right. what, what, would have been right. that right. it didn't give show. Me, give me one more. What else do you have besides a Sweden bus accident and HIV at Johns Hopkins? And diabetes. And diabetes at Jefferson. Um, how about how about low back pain? Okay. Right. So multiple trials about the perception of pain is lessened. How, actually, I got one for you. How about surgery? You want to do surgery? Sure. So a visit. I mean, it's hard for me to believe that a surgical outcome could be impacted by compassion. So multiple studies dating all the way back 50 years ago in the New England Journal, right? It's a pretty big journal that when you have a pre-op visit and a connection with an anesthesiologist, an anesthesiologist will tell you they know this, that if you have a connection with an anesthesiologist in that pre-op area, that pre-op visit with an anesthesiologist or a nurse, that you will ultimately in the post-op area need less pain medication, less opioid pain medication, and your time in the hospital is less. I had a colonoscopy last week. This is the Book Club with Michael Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. 
If you're like me, it's now the end of the day and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive. Then take out, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. I had a colonoscopy last week. You're making me think of all of my recent uh, travails. Thank God there haven't been many. Um, I had a really good experience. In fact, they, they, they had me fill out a questionnaire to take home with me, and I sent it back in because I wanted to give uh, my GI, Dr. DiMarino, rave reviews. But every step o- along the process for my colonoscopy, the staff could not have been nicer, could not have been more accommodating toward me. I mean, from the receptionist to the anesthesiologist to the anesthesiologist. And I I have to believe that put me in a, a better frame of mind. Nobody wants to undergo a colonoscopy. Um, it, it improved my emotional response to it. But you're going a step further. And that matters. All of that matters. So here's a, one of my favorite studies is the perhaps the longest scientific study that exists anywhere. It's called the Harvard Study of Adult Development. So it's a study that's been going on for close to 80 years. Because I'm just trying to make the connection between the mind and the body sometimes. That's not the only mechanism. Right. Close to 80 years study's been going on. They took a bunch of men from Harvard. TC couldn't be in the study because there were only men in Harvard at the time they started the study. And some other teenagers in Boston. And they've been following them their whole life. They bring them in every year. They're still doing the study. And what they found is- I've read about this study. The biggest predictor at age 50 Mm -hmm. of their health at 80 wasn't their cholesterol. It wasn't any of their health factors. Wait, can I see if I I remember the result? Yeah. Was it it the number of relationships that they had? It was their satisfaction with their relationships. Right. Because loneliness kills. It's our connections and our relationships that matter. You You can expand that to- how you have your relationships with people has a lasting effect. So okay. trusted others in-, in I remember right? that. Yeah, I find that to be very compelling. L- let's address the time issue. Okay. I-, I don't know what I'm going to get from physicians. I'm sure all the lines are almost already lit. But my hunch is that physicians are going to call 
and they're going to say that they agree with Dr. Maz, but hey, man, I don't have the time because I'm on the clock and I've got to get from this bay to that bay to this bay. How much of this is driven by time and then really driven by insurance companies? Not as much as you think. So let me let me do the, the rush thing. The rush thing. Here. Go ahead. So study also Johns Hopkins. Okay, among uh, they did this is hematologist oncologist. This is one of several with the same outcomes. What they did is they took, you know, they looked at the endpoint of anxiety in cancer patients. And unfortunately for cancer patients, sometimes that's the only endpoint you can study because, you know, the outcomes, that's the only one you can look at. And they did a compassion intervention where they gave one arm of the study something to read, a script to read. And the result was an incredible reduction in that outcome, a decrease in anxiety. What was the script? I'm going to read it to you. Oh, Okay. This is how long you okay, put- help help me understand this though. To whom was this read? To the patients. So I'm the patient. My right. audience right now, we are the patients. You're the patient. And we're all and cancer. I'm the doctor. And we're all cancer yeah, patients. And they randomized it to the different doctors. Okay. So some patients got the script. And some didn't. Some didn't. Go Here's ahead. the script. Yeah. They read this at the beginning of the visit, and then they read something at the end of the visit. Okay. Here it is. I know this is a tough experience to go through, and I want you to know that I'm here with you. Some of the things that I say to you today may be difficult to understand. So I want you to feel comfortable in stopping me if something I say is confusing or doesn't make sense. We're here together, and we will go through this together. That's the beginning of the visit. Okay. The end of the visit, I know this is a tough time for you, and I want to emphasize again that we are in this together. I will be with you each step along the way. Those who were read had what differentiation of an outcome versus the uh, the others? Had a significant decrease. It was large. I don't have the exact number in front of me. Decrease in the endpoint of anxiety, which was the thing they measured. This is repeated all under a minute. Not just anxiety. Every endpoint that they looked at in multiple studies. Okay. I'm How less, long did that take? Yeah. 40 seconds. Okay. T- just just to be a, a bit of a critic. Okay. I'm less anxious, but, but I still have stage four carcinoma. No, well, that one's anxiety. But in, in, so let's go back for another one. Almost all of these ideas where they looked at, the way they study compassion and the way you give it to patients, almost all of these, when they really get rigorous on this, they're videotaping the encounter and they're having people actually look at the language. All of these encounters where they talk about adding in compassion interventions, they're all less than a minute in what they have people do. Because if the idea is you have to spend more time, it's just not going to be a realistic well, intervention. Well, okay, so let me quickly ask you, I'm not going to be able to cover it all before I get to the phone calls, but I want to address this. Let's address cost, because I imagine that there's some there's some healthcare CEO listening to this right now who is saying, oh my God, we can't afford the compassion that Dr. Mazzarelli is recommending in the book. No, you can't afford not to, right? So that's the whole, I would... We had to address costs because the only thing, and this is going to be cynical, the only thing that really changes behavior in healthcare is the reimbursement structure. So if if compassion is going to change outcomes, but isn't going to ch- isn't going to be phys- fiscally viable, it's not going to happen. So we had to look at what are the the data around costs. You doing this at Cooper? Are you employing these techniques as a means of you think holding costs or reducing we're, costs? We're doing research on this right now, and we're trying to employ this by bringing this out in our physicians. We actually had an article that was in the Enquirer yesterday. There's another one that's embargoed till later this week. So we're doing a lot of original research, and we're trying to have this. When we start to talk about burnout, that's the best part, the, the sort of three legged stool of this. You did say this impacts healthcare providers individually in a positive way that's the best meaning what that so burnout is a huge issue and i I guess we'll come back to costs in a minute but burnout and really what we mean by that is physicians 
depersonalization, emotional exhaustion, and not feeling gratification in their work. It's a growing problem in healthcare. 50% of physicians have some element of that right now across the country. It's a growing problem. And so most people try to solve this with what Steve and I call escapism. Well, wellness, you know, go for long walks. I'm not saying those things aren't important. Hot yoga, soul cycle, you know, but, and those things are important, but our position, it's gotta be, the answer has to be at the point of care. There has to be something about patients that can be the solution here. So there are a lot of studies that if you would think that compassion, what, what do the studies show about compassion and burnout? Well, if, if providing all the, a lot of people used to teach in medical school, when I was in medical school, they taught you don't get too close to patients because you'll get burned out. Well, it turns out that it's not the case that the higher the compassion, the higher the burnout. It's the inverse. It actually makes sense to me because I know that if I, if I undertake a charitable act, maybe I'm giving money, maybe I'm giving time, maybe I'm just giving uh, a benefit to somebody that I don't necessarily need, I do end up feeling better about myself. Of course. Um, so it makes, it makes sense. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen to the Michael Smirconish program weekdays on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 and anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.